Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your gracious host, Rico Mohammed. Coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, tonight, we are going to be joined by our resident legal expert, Mr. Hank Seaton, will be joining us to take and field all of your transportation law questions, as well as we want to try to double back and go back around and get more people are more abreast and more aware of what's coming down the pipe with this Food Safety Moderate, Moderation Act. Not sure if you guys are really um, have heard much about it, but we want to try to get you guys informed on it, what's, what's coming down the pike, so that you can get ahead of the game and have and try to create yourself with a little bit of more of a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Uh, so we want to try to educate, uh, give you a little bit more education on that situation, as well as a couple of other things. We apologize uh, for not being able to have the show last week. We had some, uh, I want to say, um, technology issues. Uh, once again, was in an area where I didn't have, I had very spotty internet connection, and I was not able to get on to be able to try to bring the show to you. However, we're going to try to make up for last weekend this week with the action-packed show, and as always, your calls and comments are always welcome. You can press number one to do that. We have uh, my lovely daughter, Ayana, will be screening phone calls for us tonight. So you can go ahead and press number one if you already know what it is that you want, a uh, question that you want to get in with, Hank. Or if you know what you want to talk about, you can press one, and we'll, we'll try to get to you as soon as we uh, cover a couple other bases real quick, some housekeeping things. Um this week, I just wanted to bring this up really quickly as well. Um was fortunate enough and, and was blessed enough to be featured in an Overdrive magazine article. I don't know how many of you got a chance to see that. But it was basically talking about uh, ELDs and, and early adopters of ELDs. And um, I got a phone call from, from a couple of friends this week, and, was, and, and you know, they kind of had a bone to pick with me a little bit about my position on the ELDs. They were a little disappointed that I was uh, – you know, kind of jumping on board and, and and being one of the early adopters with the ELDs. And, and I'll just say this, like I told them, um, by all means, I can I can appreciate both ends of the spectrum. Those are you know ELD supporters and those that are ELD uh, opposers. I can I can respect both ends of the spectrum. However, my position just simply just boils down to I don't see. Um, much of much of anything slowing down the implementation of the ELD regulation. So my position was to try to get out and get ahead of it, and uh, and and the uh, secondary position behind that is we as a trucking community and as business owners, you know, and I think they covered this in the uh, in the article. We I feel like we give away so much of our um, we give away so much of our entrepreneurship. We give away. We are like magic erasers for a lot of brokers and shippers because by doesn't matter what happened in the whole process, you know, we'll take the risk of, 
you know, making sure that we uh, get it there by any means necessary sometimes. And that's not that's not the best uh, situation for us as as business owners and as business people. You know, that's not the best position for us to be in because, um, you know, we are responsible for what we are responsible for, but we cannot be responsible for other people's negligence or not being able to have their, their staffs and docks adequately staffed to facilitate the loading and unloading of equipment in a timely and efficient manner. So that's, you know, just real quickly, just wanted to kind of touch on that real quickly. Uh, that was my position on on that whole situation. Now, with that being said and no further ado, let's jump into this week's USDA Fruit and Vegetable Report. Um, we will going to try to put up a copy of this report on the uh, Rates and Lanes Facebook page for your viewing pleasure. This week, we have a little bit movement in the in the marketplace. We have three markets that are showing outright shortages of trucks. Those three markets are Idaho, Merrill County, Oregon, Upper Valley Twin Fall Districts, Burley, Burley, Idaho, and Columbia Basin in Washington. Those three particular areas are showing an outright shortage of trucks. So, with that being said, there may be a chance to exploit a little bit, a little bit, a little bit more of opportunity in those areas. The other area that are showing a slight shortage of trucks, Aristotle County, Maine, and Michigan, both of those areas are showing a slight shortage of trucks. So there's potential to be had in those areas as well. Areas that you might want to avoid, uh, showing slight surpluses, Central and Western Arizona, Imperial and Coachella Valley, California, uh, Kern District, California, Oxnard District, California, Santa Maria, California, Minnesota, North Dakota, Red River Valley. Those areas are all showing slight surpluses in the marketplace right now. Areas that another areas that you might want to outright avoid: Mexico crossing through Nogales, Arizona, San Luis Valley, Colorado. In Nebraska, they are showing outright surplus of trucks, way more trucks than there are loads available in those areas. So those are some areas that you may want to avoid. And like I said, we're going to try to get you a link up and on board over on the Facebook page for uh, Rates and Lanes Facebook page for this report. So you can click on it. There's a little bit more information that is in-depth in this report. But we just kind of hit the hot topics and try to keep it moving, try to keep the show going. Moving right along, jumping over into this week's DAT Trend Lines report for the week of February 5th through the 11th. Fan and reefer rates continue to decline, which is typical for what is a normal month of freight. But spot market volumes last week were strong for the first time of the year. The national flatbed rate rose last week by four cents per mile. So let's take a look and go in depth on this report. And we start out as we normally do with the National Dry Van Demand and Capacity Report for this week. The van load postings declined by 6% last week, while truck postings increased by 3%. That caused the load to truck ratio to decline by 9% down from 2.6 down to 
loads per truck. Despite that, load volumes increased by 2.5% on the top 100 van lanes, and they're 2% higher than a month ago. The national average van rate fell by $0.03 cents compared to the previous week. Also this week, the national price of diesel was unchanged, stayed steady at $2.56 per gallon on average across the country. Moving in and seeing how the U.S. van rates were performing over last week, we know that the national van rates have continued to drop in almost a linear fashion from December peak, peak seven weeks ago. Prices have slipped three cents lower to $1.63 per mile last week. Outbound rates declined in many of the major markets, including Los Angeles, Atlanta, and Philadelphia. Taking a look around the regions of the country, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania being the representative city, showing an average outbound spot market rate of $1.53 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia, checking in, showing an average outbound spot market rate of $1.84 per mile. Moving up into the Midwestern portion of the United States, Chicago, Illinois, checks in, showing average spot market rates at $1.92 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, we have Dallas, Texas, checking in, showing average rates at $1.48 per mile on the spot market. Moving out and wrapping up the dry van sec, uh, western region, the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California, checks in showing outbound spot market rates at $1.88 per mile. Jumping over into the U.S. flatbed demand and capacity report for the week of February 5th through the 11th, flatbed load postings increased 11% last week, while truck postings declined by 1%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to increase 13% to 24.6 loads per truck nationally. The national average flatbed rate jumped $0.04 cents per mile week over week. Let's take a look and see how the U.S. flatbed rates were performing over the week of February the 5th through the 11th. National average flatbed rate jumped $0.04 cents per mile up to an average of $1.96 per mile. That's the fourth week in a row for flatbed rates to have gone up. Taking a look at the outbound spot market rates regionally, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Harrisburg checking in, showing average spot market rates at $2.53 per mile. Down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia checking in, showing average spot market rates at $2.17 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, Rock Island, Illinois being the representative city, showing average spot market rate at $2.28 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, Houston, Texas checks in, showing an average spot market rate at $2 even. And rounding out the report on the west coast, Phoenix, Arizona checking in, showing average spot market rates at $1.65 per mile on average. Jumping over into the reefer demand and capacity report for the week of February 5th through the 11th, 
California, Arizona, Idaho normally have robust winter volumes, but those key markets have generally been soft so far this year. Florida, however, saw a burst of potato shipments and other produce last week. Reefer load posts dropped 7% last week, while truck posts increased 5%. That caused a 11% decline in the load-to-truck ratio, slipping to 4.7 loads per truck nationally. The national average spot market rate for reefers fell $0.02 cents per mile last week. So let's take a little bit more of an in-depth look at the reefer rates for the week of February the 5th through the 11th. The national average reefer rate dipped $0.02 cents to $1.89. Though there was a surge in rates out of Miami, the southern Florida potato harvest is underway right now. So, taking a look around the regions of the country, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, we have Elizabeth, New Jersey checking in, showing spot market rates of $1.67 per mile. Lakeland, Florida checking in, showing average spot market rates of $1.34 per mile down in the southeastern portion of the United States. Moving up into the Midwest and leading the charge, Green Bay, Wisconsin, showing an average reefer spot market rate of $2.64 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, Rio Grande, McAllen, Texas, is the representative city, showing $1.94 per mile on average coming out of the Rio Grande. And coming out of the west coast, Fresno, California, $1.82 per mile on average coming out of the west coast. And we will also have this report up for you as well on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page. And now for the portion of the show that it seems to have gotten longer and longer as we've been doing it, unfortunately, that is the bad broker report. Um, this list seems to be getting longer and longer. We're going to go back and cover the lows that the, the uh, excuse me, the brokers that we missed from last week. So the, the list is going to be a little bit longer. Just try to bear with me real quickly. I'm going to get through this, and we're going to go and jump and grab Hank and get right to the meat of the matter. But going back to last week, Dash Logistics, their MC number is 899-982. They're showing over $8,000 in non-payment complaints. Valencia Freight Company, Inc., their MC number is 972-537. FMCSA shows trust fund is canceled. Over $41,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Extremely high risk. Raymar Transport, Inc., FMC, uh, MC number is 300208. It's always concerning when I start to see those low MC numbers. Uh, Ramar Transportation, Inc., again, MC number is 300208. FMCSA shows surety bond is set to cancel on 3-4-17, over $20,000 in non-payment complaints reported. Crestline Transportation, Inc., MC number is 673-791. FMCSA shows trust fund scheduled for cancellation on 2-18-17, over $20,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Phoenix Logistics Supply Chain Solutions, Inc. MC number is 
this broker has over ninety thousand dollars in unpaid carrier invoices. FMCSA shows their bond is scheduled for cancellation on two twenty three seventeen. WHC Contractors. This is a shipper. Shipper WHC Contractors. No broker authority or bond. Uh, they the this particular. Uh, they have received notice that nearly $34,000 in unpaid carrier invoices from WHC contractors. Again, this is a direct shipper. The next one up on the list, Arrow Logistics LLC. Arrow Logistics, their MC number is 689-363. Over $13,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Um, and this next one, I'm going to probably butcher the name on here, B Billion Paul Corporation, or BP Logistics. Uh, the MC number is 789146. Over $33,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. They are considered an extreme risk. And rounding out this week, Lodestar Systems, Inc., MC number is 858-626. Trust fund is canceled. Over $22,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was your bad broker report. And with that being said, let's go and try to get to the man of the hour, our resident legal expert, Mr. Hank Seaton. Let's see if we can get him up and on board. Hank, are you there? I am here. Good evening. Good evening, Hank. Um, man, I tell you, I, I hate to see it when, you know, uh, that, that list seems to get longer and longer every time we, uh, we get ready to try to go into and inform our listeners of what's going on. And that's very unfortunate. Uh, but I was informing everyone a little earlier that, you know, we wanted to try to double back around and get to a subject that, uh, you guys have a, a great solution for over at TransComply, but we wanted to try to, uh, inform more and more of the listening uh, public about this um, Food Safety and Modernization Act that's coming down from the FDA that's going to have an effect uh, on anyone that's transporting any type of uh, foodstuffs. Uh, I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll try and tee it up for you and, and, and let you take over from there and, and let you do what you're doing and help, you, uh, help us inform uh, everyone of what's going on and what's coming down the pike where, where that's concerned. Okay, it is, it's been in the works for a couple of years. Congress told the FDA to shore up the uh, foodstuff supply chain to be sure people didn't get salmonella and die. And the FDA wisely, I think, uh, studied it, knew they didn't know anything of, uh, about the topic, and uh, listened to all of the constituents. What they came up with, with respect to truck transportation, a lot of the problems really doesn't lie with the truckers. It lies with the, the plants and the processors and the warehousing. But they said that the brokers, the shippers, or the consignors would be responsible for ensuring the supply chain and could delegate certain obligations downstream to carriers. They said that uh, the extent to which they could delegate those obligations could be done by contract and that what they really wanted was to establish 
best practices for uh, ensuring the supply chain. Among the things they said that could be delegated was washouts, uh, uh, the training of drivers and how to handle perishable foods, uh, a temperature recorder that was downloadable, just some very basic kinds of things. Uh, when they released this, uh, initially there was a, a, a flutter about, oh, well, what obligations do we delegate down to the shippers? There was the fear, some of which is uh, coming to fruition, that large shippers would uh, uh, say, if somebody gets sick, the carrier's responsible and you've bought the obligation. Uh, shippers and, and carriers of goodwill recognize that to comply with this, we needed basic minimum standards that uh, uh, people could meet and uh, could vouch that they met. Uh, there are 39,000 small carriers, I mean people less than 15 units, uh, in the foodstuff industry. Uh, Rico, you're certainly one. You're probably pretty, pretty typical. Uh, your access to freight, unless you got your own freight, uh, is primarily through brokers of produce. That's part of what we were talking about tonight with roots and lanes, where, uh, you know, where are the, are the potatoes running tonight or aren't running? So for small carriers, you have to be able to be credentialed in the spot market in order to jump on that load and, uh, and get it with uh, uh, some degree of timeliness or somebody else will get it. Uh, Given all of that and the fact that we needed to establish some basic standards together with shippers, brokers, and carriers of all sizes, we came up with a basic, what we call a protocol. And by a protocol, we mean just uh, a warranty that the carriers meet the basics. And we put the protocol together with another essential vetting tool, which is that carriers would have their certificates of insurance sent to the protocol so that you wouldn't have to call up your uh, uh, insurance agent every time you were doing business for somebody new to get them to send a certificate. Uh, we made that thing available. We were going to charge uh, $100 a year to participate in it, and uh, we got uh, 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 good representation of the industry to endorse that. So what we have been doing in the run-up for the effective date of uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act, which is in April, is enlist people to join the protocol with the idea that they can then be vetted simply by shippers and brokers and meet a uh, minimal uh, safety requirement for ensuring that uh, you know, there are washouts that uh, uh, these basic compliance issues are met. And uh, I think I introduced it last month. Uh, since then, we've gotten some uh, uh, good bit of participation and some endorsements from uh, some large shippers and brokers. So we're kind of launched with the program. Uh, uh, over the next month or so, uh, you'll be hearing more about it. Uh, and uh, for, uh, I think it's... Uh, one of the reasons that I got involved is, uh, uh, as Rico know, I think we first uh, first met through uh, the National Association of Small Trucking Companies. I've got a, I've got a real heart to see that uh, the big don't get big and the smaller get washed out. 
and this is uh, this is one way for you to be able to demonstrate that you're just as qualified as somebody who's got a thousand trucks to uh, handle foodstuff shipments. Right. So anyone that's listening in, that's that uh, handles that moves any type of food stuff, this is you know a great way to try to get a little bit of a competitive edge as well. You know, if you got just to add to your you know, I call what I call one of the things that I like to try to do when I'm approaching shippers and stuff like that. I try to have a credibility uh, package, and this is something that shows that you're ne- you're not just a fly-by-night agency and that uh, uh, company, and that you're not, you know, that you actually care about what it is that you're doing. And and this could be a great tool to add to your toolbox uh, to help uh, set, uh, differentiate yourself from your competition. That may or may that you know that may not be listening in right now, and it gives you a like I say, it just gives you another feather in your cap when you are approaching potential uh, uh, shippers directly. And also, if you are if you are just one of those people that just like dealing on the spot market, it kind of makes you a little bit more desirable uh, when you're dealing with the broker as well. It helps. It gives you something else to to help sell yourself. That is, is the way I like to be. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think that's right, Rico, and I also think that I'm seeing from some some large shippers uh, crammed down on brokers that they warrant that they will uh, ensure that the carrier is compliant with FISMA, just like it's uh, customary and broker uh, qualifications that they've got to be sure that the the carrier is licensed, authorized, and insured. Well, the the fourth... uh, uh, leg on that footstool is now going to be and uh, comply with FISMA. And of course, if you join the protocol, you're going to have certified that you have done the minimal training, that that, that you know what you're doing. And uh, you know, I think uh, unfortunately, the, we've had a lot of support from brokers because they recognize that they need to be able to. Uh, have available the 39,000 carriers that profess to be reefers. Uh, reefers. And, you know, if, if they've got to wonder whether or not you even know what FISMA is about or whether or not you've got uh, uh, a working reefer or whether or not you've got insurance, all of those impediments to booking the load will be removed. Exactly. And, and to make things a little bit easier for everyone that's listening in, uh, on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page, I know that we've got a bunch of people. We have over a thousand likes over there, a thousand people following us on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page. We have uh, went ahead and linked up. We have a direct link over there where you can click on it. It'll take you directly to the TransComply.com webpage where you can apply to sign up uh, to get involved with the Uniform Food Safety Transportation Protocol through TransComply that that Hank is uh, involved with. So it gives you, gets you set up for your subscription over that way. Uh, so just to make things a little bit more easier for you guys, you can go to the Rates and Lanes Facebook page, click on that link, takes you directly over there, and you can get started on, on that piece of business right there. Uh, Hank, uh, just really quickly as well, um, I know new administrations coming in. We've got, uh, uh, you know, they've got a, a lot of stuff that's, been uh, all throughout the news, but when it comes down to the the new transportation secretary that got uh, approved uh, a, a couple of weeks back, I believe. What do you what do you know about the the new transportation secretary, and what what can you share with us uh, 
uh, from your perspective about this, this uh, our new uh, well, secretary uh, of the transportation industry? Yeah, uh, Elaine Chow uh, was formerly secretary of labor. She's a uh, she's got a conservative reputation. She's the wife of Mitch McConnell, who, uh, at least in terms of my dealing with McConnell, has been a friend for trucking. Uh, I think she's she's viewed as a as a, as a stable uh, uh, administrator. Uh, I think that I think she'll certainly uh, uh, be be better than what we've encountered before. Should have a receptive uh, ear to uh, to small carriers and to to business interests. Uh, certainly will not be as uh, as governed by. Uh, uh, kind of the, the knee-jerk reactions that we get sometimes out of uh, out of labor and safety constituents. So I think she I think she she'll be uh, a leveling uh, factor. I, I think we're all kind of waiting to see who is the appointed administrator. Uh, you know, I've, I've got some people that I'd love to see uh, get in get in the middle ranks to help. Uh, change what is kind of a prosecutorial bent and kind of an adversarial relationship with motor carriers. Uh, I'm, I'm also heartened by uh, the fact that uh, uh, President Trump has, uh, has taken some important steps that uh, uh, I'll explain and people have questions about, maybe I can answer. There's a thing called the Congressional Review Act, which allows an incoming president to put a state on any uh, rule that has not been finalized. And uh, when he came into office, he put that state <coughs> on a number of rules that were in the pipeline. Uh, and some of the ones that may concern listeners that otherwise would have probably come through, like the speed limiter are probably dead. The ELD, because it uh, had already been through the regulatory process, will probably live. Some of the further things that, uh, that, that we saw coming down the pipeline will certainly be reconsidered. One of the things that is of most interest to me is the proposed new safety fitness determination that was uh, put on the table by the agency last January. We fought that tooth and toenail because it was a, a very bad rule, and we think it should have been killed on its merits. Uh, the uh, National Academy of Science was asked to study it, and I don't think they're very impressed with it. But I'm happy to report that, with the exception of just a couple of constituencies, it seems as though Everybody has gotten together in the past uh, uh, 48 hours and sent a letter to Secretary Chow and to congressional leaders saying uh, basically can the safety fitness determination send the agency back to the drawing board on SMS methodology. Uh, I, I think this letter is uh, important because uh, Whenever you can get OIDA and the ATA on board with anything, you're a large part of the of the way home. We've traditionally been a divided uh, industry, and on this petition, there must be three dozen signatories. 
there even a couple of shippers groups, uh, the folks that are part of the little coalition I've been working with, which is eight or nine trade associations all joined. Most of the uh, of the bus industry joined. Interestingly, some large carriers like Werner, uh, some friends of mine at Apex Capital, it was really a, a broad band list of people who said, let's can this safety fitness determination. So uh, I'm encouraged that that's one of the first uh, efforts by industry to uh, uh, drain the swamp and get some of these regulations off our backs. And I think they started with a good one. Trump administration also said that they want the agencies to propose to remove two rules before they propose a new one, which is uh, uh, kind of a, a, a novel idea. I'm not sure how agencies will respond to it, but it basically says, uh, as an administration, we believe in less regulations, not more, which uh, I, I think will uh, inure to the benefit of small people who are just uh, uh, simply being drowned in, in, in compliance issues. So with that background, Rico, if, they, if people have got any questions about what's going on in Washington, uh, uh, you know, I think it may be anybody's guess, but I'll be happy to guess. Yes, sir. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard the man. We got a full call bank. We got a, we got right at over a hundred people on the line. So if you got any questions for Hank Seaton, you can go ahead and press number one. We will get your call screen, bring you up and on board and give you an opportunity to speak to Hank and get your question in, whether it be about the regulatory issues, the, uh, the Uniform Food Safety Act, or any kind of transportation legal question that you may have. Uh, we are here for you, for you to uh, take a look at that one. And I got one earlier uh, Hank, that um, I, I kind of tried to guide them in the best direction as I could because uh, I, I know we kind of have addressed the topic a little bit here, but um, had a young lady that was uh, have a situation where she booked the load on the spot market, was en route to go pick up the load from the uh, shipper, informed the broker that she was en route, and uh, the broker called her while she was en route and then canceled the load. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told her that I told her that that broker should pay her a truck order, not use fee. And I told her that that fee uh, probably if she hadn't disclosed it in the contract, the probably the best she probably may be able to get was 150. But I, I told her that, you know, she probably should word something to the effect of uh bare minimum of 150 miles or which are, or if you got a good bit of deadhead involved, mileage whichever is greater you know a, a rate per mile mileage uh that you, you know whichever is greater at that time uh did i did i give us a little bit of sound advice or, or, or correct me where, I'm, where i may have messed up on that one I, I, i'll well, put it to the expert the, the problem with truck ordered not used is the same as the problem with uncompensated detention and that is that unless you've got it in a written bilateral contract uh, your equitable argument probably isn't worth litigating. I mean, you know, I think we all know that uh, if you don't ask or insist on a truck order not used, it's not going to be in your rate confirmation sheet. And if it's not in your rate confirmation sheet, the best thing you can do is probably kick yourself in the ass and report them 
to uh, to yelp or somebody as a as a non-compliant broker. I think a a, a broker who wants to use the carrier and knows that they've deadheaded uh, uh, 200 miles and then cancels uh, should offer them some reasonable compensation as a best business practice. But if you don't get your your detention, your truck order not used, your accessorial charges uh, in the spot market contract, uh, you're going to have a hard time getting a broker to pay you, and you certainly can't file on his bond and say he owes me unless you can show in writing that he agreed to pay it to you. Not All fair. right, well, there it is. All right. it is. But, uh, you know, that is, that's the reason that, uh, you know, for our larger carriers, we – uh, certainly recommend that they have uh, service terms and conditions and cover those kinds of accessorial uh, uh, issues. Uh, you know, it's one thing when you've got the load on and you can say, well, uh, I'm not going to deliver it until you pay me. It's another thing for them to cancel the load. And it's for that reason when when life gets tough during Christmas time, and people are, are are jamming to try to find loads, carriers typically say, well, I've got uh, an empty in Keokuk. I'll, de- I'll, I'll deadhead it to uh, uh, Des Moines, but you're going to have to pay me a deadhead fee. Uh, when, uh, uh, you know, your rates and lanes are such that there's more uh, trucks than there are freight, people are willing to repossess that, uh, reposition that truck at a loss. And then when the load's canceled, unless they've got it in the contract, I think they've got a, a hard way to go, particularly when you're talking about maybe suing somebody over two or 300 bucks. All right, right. Well, with that said, let's go and jump in and take a couple of calls. we got Sean. Sean, we're going to jump and grab you. You're on live with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Well, uh, mentioning about OIDA and ATA being on the same side, on some issues. I think you're going to find that a lot more now that they have replaced the uh, past president and CDO and brought in Kevin Birch and Chris Spears to take over the ATA. I think they're going to be more in line with the trucking um, industry as opposed to the safety groups. Well, I, I, I certainly uh, I, I certainly hope you're right. Uh, I, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not uh, acquainted with uh, Chris Spears. He comes new into trucking. Uh, you know, I, I, I certainly hope you're right. I, I know of Kevin Birch. He's, uh, he is the incoming president. Uh, I don't really think, though, having known the, the past presidents of ATA fairly well, that we've had any of them that... Uh, 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 that uh, uh, were what you call uh, uh, in the tank with the agency. It has always been the ATA's uh, uh, strength and its problem that it it is it's got an extremely big tent, and that big tent sometimes puts large carriers against small carriers, uh, LTL carriers that want double bottoms against truckload carriers that don't. And sometimes they're kind of like a like a big aircraft carrier. They're kind of hard to steer, uh, and, uh, and that is that's a, a systemic problem when you're trying to uh, represent uh, all segments of the community. I do think that on a lot of the bureaucratic overreach 
the uh, the ATA uh, has tried to in the past uh, work with an agency that uh, uh, didn't really want to work with the trucking companies. I mean, uh, for example, ATA was a big supporter of uh, uh, cleaning up the uh, accident uh, uh, register by calling balls and strikes on every accident. And uh, that was one of their big lobbying efforts. When the agency got through with it, they weren't really going to call balls and strikes on every accident. They were only going to uh, uh, take off the list uh, 10% of the, of the bad bus. So what they would have done with that last scrubbing uh, wouldn't have really helped uh, purify the record. And I think uh, that has happened a number of different times uh, with uh, organized trucking trying to work with the, the current mentality that uh, the art of compromise wasn't, uh, wasn't realized. And I think some things that are going on with larger carriers now, uh, particularly a lot of... Uh, vicarious liability lawsuits, which, uh, you know, can run into the tens of millions of dollars for larger carriers and some of the, the attack on the independent contractor model uh, is, is resulting in large and small carriers both feeling the same level of pain. So, you know, uh, I, I think you'll see more, uh, hopefully, more ability for large and carriers work together because it's in their everybody's best interest, but you know, I this is certainly a hopeful sign for ATA, and I applaud them for what they've done. Well, I've listened to both Kevin Burke and Chris Beer, and I'm very encouraged by what I've heard. When I listened to Dave Ozeki before, he basically told a told a line that sounded like government agency where I'm hearing better from Chris Beer and Kevin Birch on, on issues. That's good to hear. I heard, I heard uh, Bill Sullivan, I guess, who's uh, one of the new uh, uh, folks on board here in the past month, and, uh, you know, I thought he, he gave it a, a, an attentive ear as well. I mean, I personally like uh, Dave Osecki, uh, uh, and... Uh, you know, and uh, I knew him very well. He actually came from the agency. Uh, I often thought that Dave was just uh, uh, having to watch what he said because he had a divided tent. I think ultimately, uh, you know, that association will take its uh, its lead from its from its members, and if its members can agree on an agenda, then I, I, I think you'll see uh, uh, us maybe having a whole lot more. Uh, things in common and we have uh, a different attitude towards. I mean, you know, Thanks large and small large and small carriers both have a have a vested stake in the owner operator model working. Uh and you know, that's that's a a key issue that we both face. Uh uh you know, there's a whole bunch of class action lawsuits that uh you know, is but for the grace of God, there goes everybody that's a carrier. So uh, I, I think to dial down some of the drama about uh, uh, wayward truck drivers being these uh, uh, these killer small children, uh, it has to end. And uh, I don't think that's a 
just an image change we can do by, uh, you know, uh, a PR program. Yes, thanks very much. Appreciate the time. Sure, thank you. All right, Sean, we, pre we appreciate the phone call. Let's jump over and grab Keith. Keith, you're up and on live with Rico and Hank. Good evening, gentlemen. I have a uh, few questions for Mr. Seaton regarding non-compete clauses. Now, I okay. understand that I understand a broker wanting to have a non-compete clause to uh, prevent his customer from being stolen. But on the other hand, as I'm starting up my company, I've already got a list started of uh, potential shippers. I'd like to go to them first before I go to a broker. But uh, sometimes these big shippers, uh, there's a plant across the road, they just don't have the time for a one-truck outfit unless they absolutely need you. So to get freight from them, I may have to go through a broker to get it. If I've ever, excuse me. If I've already uh, marketed to that customer, I'm already well aware of them, what's, what happens with that non-compete clause? Is that something where I can honestly say, hey, you didn't tell me anything I wasn't aware of. It's just that I'm not big enough to get his attention unless he absolutely has to have me. So where, where does that non-compete clause come in and where, where do I stand on that? Well, uh, I do I do a webinar on the Dirty Dozen, uh, and that's 12 provisions in a shipper or broker contract that I uh, think a small carrier needs to look very carefully at before they sign. You uh, you said a, a part of the issue in your discussion, and that is you can see why a broker doesn't want you to come in and find a, a honey hole of a shipment and then back solicit the broker by going to the shipper and saying, look, I'm handling your freight frequently. Let's just cut that guy out because I'll do it cheaper. Now, you know, that is probably uh, a, uh, a protection that a broker can insist upon. The problem I have with broker contracts is oftentimes it will say, that you will not solicit nor will you handle traffic for any shipper first tendered by them to you, which effectively means that if you're in uh, stuck in Keokuk and you get a load from uh, General Mills to Chicago for a broker that you can't haul for General Mills for two years, even if it's from... Uh, uh, Nashville to San Antonio, and that's just not really fair. Uh, so what we typically do when we get those kinds of covenants not to compete is we do two things, that you will not back solicit them with respect to traffic first handle so that you wouldn't back solicit them from that load from Keokuk to Chicago. But that doesn't say that you will be locked out of doing business with General Mills. And also we try to put in there that nothing in the covenant not to compete will preclude you from responding to an unsolicited RFP at any point. So that means that if General Mills decides that they want to stop doing business with all-day brokerage, uh, they can come to you and say, hey, you know, you've been providing good service through all-day. Will you haul for us? And that's not a violation. 
Uh, and, you know, we have a, a pretty good uh, uh, rate at changing those things because a covenant back to solicit is really more of a uh, unfair business practice that, uh, you know, I, I think if, if you need that load home from Keokuk enough to take it from a broker and to sign that covenant back to solicit, uh, you pretty well better know that, you know, you're, you're going to be blocked out on that particular lane for that particular uh, company. But be careful that you don't all of a sudden find yourself blocked out from calling for a Fortune 500. Yeah. I have seen I have seen people sign one of those and all of a sudden uh, be sued if the broker finds out that they're hauling from ConAgra between points they never even thought about. Yeah. So uh, it, it's the it's how broad the covenant is, and there's language you can put into it that you can quickly determine is that broker really a fair-minded individual? What he should be concerned about is. Uh, you're not you're not trolling the internet to uh, to prospect freight just to get one load to see how it fills out because you're intending to try to cut the price and back solicit them. Uh, but yep. that that's something different. That's something different from restricting your free access to trade or somebody yep. trying to toll gate uh, a future when he gets kicked out of the shipper because the shipper doesn't want him anymore. Yep. Um, another aspect of this that I'm thinking of is uh, the, the equipment I'm going to have, I'm going to have multiple capabilities. Let's say uh, I get a load with a van trailer from a broker from a nearby shipper, and uh, that broker doesn't deal with dump freight, for example. And I go in there and I talk with that shipper about his other end of the business where he's got uh, dump trailer freight. Am I by any means breaking your average non-compete clause by going in there and handling something that that particular broker that I've already got a non-compete clause with doesn't handle? Is that something where I've got to just watch the language and then be able to explain that, hey, you're not even yeah. in this part of the part of the business. Well, if you can find the covenant not to compete, to traffic first handled uh, uh, for the shipper through the broker, then obviously dump traffic isn't van traffic. So yep. if you can okay. find if you can find the covenant, so that you can say, "Hey, look, Charlie, uh, all the loads you gave me was van freight, uh, and uh, uh, I didn't back solicit the guy's van freight. I got dumped." That doesn't yep. violate anything you gave me. Then you've got it. But if you sign something that says that you recognize that broker as the exclusive agent for the shipper and that you will not handle any traffic for the shipper, then the language probably sinks you. Okay, so basically watch the language carefully in the contract and narrow it to basically the work that that broker is tendering to you yeah, the traffic lane, the origins, the destinations, the type of freight. Just be sure it doesn't say that you're recognizing that uh, you can't handle anything under any circumstances for any shipper once you handle the first load. And, you know, it, you just have to look very closely at how broad that covenant is. Okay, so basically watch out, 
watch how fair the balance is on the non-compete clause and, you know, don't go cutting his throat. But uh, if he's got something to the side of it that you're not, you and him aren't involved with, then it's fair game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would not advocate any client uh, uh, cutting a broker out of a transaction uh, uh, because they could say, thank you very much for telling me it was here. I'm going to go try to back solicit it because usually they say it's, it's a back solicitation. It shouldn't, uh, and it should be confined to freight firsthand. Yeah. And, and, and watch the way it's worded because some of, some of those contracts are really very cute and very far reaching. And, you know, you just need to, you just need to mark them up. They won't give it to you. Just just walk away from it. Yep. So it all goes right back to read the contract and understand what you're signing. Uh, yep. That's that that those are pretty much the basics. All right. Well, I thank you, sir. Sure. Appreciate the phone call there, Keith. And anyone else? Well, we got a few more minutes left with Hank. If you got a question real quickly, you can go ahead and press number one. Just want to do a little bit of housekeeping before we get ready to get up out of here and wrap up tonight. If you've got any questions uh, in the future or if you would like for uh, Hank Seaton and his partners over at the law offices of Seaton and Husk, you can get in contact with them. They have a website, transportationlaw.net. All the contact information is there for your, uh, for your pleasure. You can reach out to them on transportationlaw.net if you would like for them to uh, help you out with any type of uh, service terms and conditions or anything like that. There's, there is a, uh, up on the website, they have sample uh, contracts in the end as well as uh, service terms and conditions. But uh, I'm pretty sure that if, you're, if, if you would like something a little bit more customized, uh, Hank Seaton and, and, and the rest of the gentlemen over that way would, would uh, love to be able to give you a hand. So you can check them out. Once again, transportationlaw.net. And also, that Hank has finished up an excellent book, uh, the second book that he has done, uh, Rules of the Road. You can get a copy of that book as well over at the uh, TransComply website. You can order it from there, or do they also have it up on uh, transportationlaw.net as well, Hank? Yeah, I, yeah, I think they do, and uh, I, I think there, Rico, isn't there, isn't there a discount available for listeners? I think there is. I was just getting ready to say that there is a discount code right. available if you are a listener of the show. Rico, R-I-C-O two zero one six. If you put that in when you check out, that gets you a twenty percent discount on the book. So there's a, there's a little help there for you as well. And do not forget, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's a link up on the Rates Lane Facebook page if you are interested in signing up and subscribing to the Uniform Safety Transportation Protocol that's offered through TransComply. You can go over to that link, and it makes it a lot easier for you to get up, uh, get right in and over there. Before we get ready to get up out of here, I think we got one more caller that wants to get in and get us a question. Let's go to Freddie. Freddie, you're up on live with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Hi, guys. Thank you. Um, regarding the ELDs, uh, I heard a version that uh, 
when they are mandated, you know, for all, uh, will there be an exemption if you're uh, a carrier of less than five trucks? Any anything you guys know about that? I don't. I don't I know, know of any size of any size exemption. There is an exemption for uh, people that are within the air mile radius. Okay. In the air mile radius, most of the time, you don't have to have the ELD. But I'm not aware of any truck exemption. There may be a there may be a phase in time. You know about that, Rico? I know there was a talk about in time. All right, thank you. I've heard rumors. I've heard rumors about a, uh, a an age truck. If your truck was a certain age, that you would didn't have to do it. But I haven't seen anything concrete to that effect. Um, as far as I know, uh, once once it's rolled out, everybody's going to have to comply. Size of the size of the fleet or any of that stuff. I've I've hadn't seen anything to that effect. I could be wrong, but I, I don't recall seeing anything to that effect. I, I haven't seen anything. It would not surprise me. If there isn't a, uh, a delay in the phase-in, uh, <clears throat> I'll mention very quickly. Some of you may have heard of the URS, the uh, Unified Registration System that the agency uh, was supposed to put in about eight years ago. I guess it's been kicked four or five times. We're all having to live with the electronic filing now, but the agency was told. Uh, to uh, reassign docket numbers to brokers, to require uh, all private and exempt carriers to post their insurance and agents. And they have yet again said that they don't have the computer skills to do that and kicked it down the road for at least the fourth or fifth time. It's one of these things that uh, it, it, it absolutely amazes me how those people have managed to design a program that logs in every speed warning for every carrier at every roadside inspection, and they can't very simply turn on the computer and get the private and uh, exempt carriers on the line for the insurance. It, it seems to me to be a restraint of trade to say that if you're a for-hire carrier transporting logs, you got to have $750,000 worth of insurance, but if you're sawmill transporting the same logs, you only have to have 300 because I promise you, if you get run over by a log truck, you're just as dead, regardless of whether he's a private carrier or a for-hire carrier. But that agency just hasn't seemed to realize that Congress told them 10 years ago to get insurance on everybody that operated a commercial motor vehicle. They're just those kinds of discrepancies that we live by day by day that I think are anti-competitive. So that right, well, it was right. my soapbox for the night. I just I I just uh, uh, am amazed that nobody calls them on that. Hey. We we love it. We love it. Um, so just once again, everyone, I'm putting up a link as we speak to the uh, 
Rules of the Road book as well. And don't forget, I'm going to put the uh, discount code in there for you to use at checkout. That also will be up on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page. Hank, we're getting ready to wrap it up. Uh, the, the hour just blew by really quickly. Is there anything in closing that you would like to say that we haven't gotten a chance to cover uh, wrapping up anything that you would like to say? No, uh, I, I, I appreciate everybody listening. If you've got any questions, uh, my email is on uh, uh, transportationlaw.net. I'll be happy to try to try to help anybody that's uh, a friend of Rico's. All right, we definitely appreciate that. And, and once again, Hank, we, we apologize for prying you away from dinner, but we definitely appreciate you taking time problem. out of your busy schedule to come on and join us tonight, spending a little time with us little guys to kind of help educate us and, and putting us up on uh, some different things that can help us improve our operation and give us some more feathers and tools to put in our toolbox. So definitely Absolutely. want to thank you, Hank, for taking time out of your time, uh, out of your schedule for that. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, we want to remind you, uh, go to LessTruck.com. And over there on LessTruck.com, you have a list of all of the different podcasts and shows that are available from uh, good friend Kenny Long and his lovely wife Elizabeth, their show, Trucking with Authority, uh, to uh, Destination Health, going all the way to your first year in trucking and, and, and as well as going to dealing with tires and alignment issues with Kevin and Mike Beckett. We kind of pretty much cover the gamut on the Less Truck uh, Radio Network, so definitely go over there, check out. There's a full, the full schedule is available for you guys over there, and if you miss the shows live, as always, they all are recorded in podcasts, so you can go back and listen to them at your listening and, uh, and at your leisure whenever time is convenient for you. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule as well for being with us tonight. And uh, by any means necessary, please uh, share the podcast, share the show with as many people as you possibly can. We want to try to get the word out there. We want to try to help improve the transportation industry. And the only way we're going to do that is by trying to educate, get as much education out there about the industry as we can. That's one of the major Achilles, that, in my opinion, that that is hurting our industry is we have more people that are out there wanting to have their own authority, but we have less and less people that are really equipped to actually understand what it means to actually be a motor carrier and to be a business person in this industry. And, and that's why we are in the conundrum where we have these crazy antiquated contracts that are leaving us bound and confused. But a good thing we got an ace in the hole. We got Mr. Hank Seaton to come on and help demystify some of these things and to put us on the right path. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we'll t hopefully, God willing, we'll talk with you same time next week. Uh, our good friend, Mr. Chuck Snow, will probably be joining us. That'll be That's kind of his designated week to be on the show with us. You know, he's our resident mentor from the aspect of someone that is coming from a larger fleet and brokerage house uh, uh frame of mind so you know just trying to get your mind in the in the mode of how you want to try to grow your business if that's something that you want to do and we have someone that can help that's trying to kind of went through a lot of the obstacles that can help lead you in the right direction to give you some different pointers and different tips to help make your road and your transition to making that growth a little bit more easier um, and with that said we want to thank you once again we'll talk to you next week 
God bless you. Good night, everybody. And as always, keep it in between the mustard and the mayonnaise. We'll talk to you guys next week. Good night. Bye.